The Mike Lupica Podcast. New York Daily News columnist and best-selling author. Mike Lupica has covered just about Mike every sport. Lupica. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Welcome to the Mike Lubica Podcast, which is a treat for me today because this is not somebody who's just become a friend of mine. He is one of the great novelists in America. He has written a, a cop novel and a New York City novel called The Force that is going to be the big book of the summer. But before we begin our conversation with Don, this from Exxon and Mobile Synergy Gasoline. Engineered to provide better gas mileage, lower emissions, and improve engine responsiveness with seven key ingredients. Stop by your nearest Exxon or mobile station today to experience Synergy Gasoline. Welcome to the Mike Lupica podcast. And anybody who reads my column or follows my work knows that I have become a disgusting fanboy for Don Winslow. There is no better writer in America right now than Don Winslow. I was late getting to the party and have spent the last year and a half reading just about um, everything he's he's ever written, including trying to get my hands on a book that was only published in, in, in Germany in this endless quest to get to everything um, he's written. Uh, he has written a novel uh, called The Force, which I am on record as saying is not just one of the great New York City cop novels. It's one of the great New York City novels ever written. I'm, I'm not going to jinx it by even guessing where it is going to land next week on the New York Times bestseller list. But in my life, I have never seen ad- advance notices and then publication notices like he has gotten. It is extremely well-deserved. The book is called The Force. It came out last Tuesday. He's on his way to a signing in Long Island, and we have become friends because of his work. Hey, Don. Hey, how are you? Thank you, man. You're very kind. You're way too good to me. Hey, so so you've taken New York by storm this week. You've been on roller skates since you showed up in the big bad city, yep. including including ads in the subway. This I have not seen before the force. So you've become a force even underground this week. Is that crazy? I, I went down there the other day, the West 4th Street subway station, to see it. Because, uh, you know, for a brief period of time, I lived down there. That was my subway stop when I was about 13. And uh, I was just overwhelmed, man. It's crazy. There's so much to get to about the force. But I want to take a step back, Don, and and ask you to compare two extremely unforgettable fictional characters. And Art Keller and Denny Malone. Denny Malone is the protagonist of of the force, uh, a cowboy cop in Manhattan North. Art Keller is a DEA agent quite memorably in both power of the dog and and the cartel and i've been thinking about this since we set up the podcast Hmm. and and what are the similarities between these two characters that you can see boy let me think for a second i mean the the one similarity is they're they're both lapsed catholics who retain however their catholic guilt and uh an anger at a god they no longer believe in uh, I think both guys, you know, are 
obsessed at various times in their life with bringing down one particular drug dealer, bad guy, for all the right reasons, outraged by his filthy behavior and his slaughter of innocence. Uh, I think there, though, I'd have to say the similarities kind of end. Well, no, no, no. Let me let me think a little bit more. Both have used sort of illegal methods. And yeah, it, that's you know, what I was. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Pitched, you know, outside the corners of the plate uh, to bring these guys down. So I, I think those are the three similarities. It does seem to me in an odd way that it is logical that you have gone from that world to the world of the Bronx and upper Manhattan in, in the force. And I, I was going to ask you, Ed, cause I've, I've got to make sure um, uh, that we don't do it. You know, I, I'm not going to do anything. that requires me to say spoiler alert, but it is no surprise that Denny Malone ends up in a world of trouble at the beginning of this book. Yeah. You know, I, I really debated that a lot. Uh, and then I finally decided that, that I wanted the reader to be in trouble with Denny from the get-go and to feel like they were in a trap and a dilemma and then just make them stay for that whole ride. You know, it, it's the only book I've ever written where you see the whole story through the point of view of just one character. Yeah, it, it is a tight third-person narrative, but my God, what, what a third person because... Again, this is this will go down for the time being till the next book as your most memorable character. And f not just because of his flaws, Don, but because of his strengths. As, as I said in the column I wrote about the force last last Sunday, Denny Malone is upholding the law even as he holds himself above the law. I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, the second edition, man. I'll get that in. Yeah, you know, listen, I, I think Malone, and you know some of these guys, Mike, as, as well. You know, they're very charismatic. They're magnetic. They have a lot of ego. And in the service of, of trying to do something really good, they'll use all those things. And and think that they'll never get caught at it, but they also think, and I'm not sure I disagree, by the way, that they're doing the right thing in doing that. And Don, you make it clear that you're not being judgmental, of, that you're very subjective. About, these characters have taken this story where they take it. But what, what was interesting to me when we spoke last week was you said that when you talked to scores of cops, mm -hmm. some of them were apologetic about the means they used, but some were completely unapologetic. So some, yeah, were sort of, yeah, you know, I kind of did that. I guess I shouldn't have some would never do those things are completely by the book, you know, would never vary an iota out of the handbook. And others were absolutely blatant about it. Yeah, you, you know, damn right I did that. You know, I talked to one cop, for instance, Mike, who was going to domestic disturbance calls, right? A wife and a kid there, knowing, knowing he was going to go back on the homicide call and knowing there was nothing he could do about it. Right. Right. Until he had to go and pick up, you know, dead, innocent people, not to bring this evening, you know, down to a screeching halt. He regretted not having done something illegal to get that guy out. And it stayed you know, with him his whole life. 
Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking that this is a book at its heart about and 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 not just the cost of doing business for these guys and these women, but the the high cost of doing business. Yeah, I, I think that that's something that that we as the general public don't see, and partly because the cops themselves, men and women, as you said, are so good at hiding it. They adopt that you know tough, cynical veneer that that we're very familiar with in pop culture, which is accurate in many ways. I, I guarantee you that they take it home with them, and it exacts a price. I mean, look, it, when when we see a crime, we see it in the paper or we see it on the television news. These guys are there. They see it. They feel it. They smell it. By the way, you know, which is the the human sense that has the most memory. And the smells are horrific. So I, I've been there. They're the guys who go to the morgues, the emergency rooms, and and worse, because I've had to do this too. They're the people who go to the families, ring that doorbell to tell people your loved one's never coming home. The psychic cost of that is enormous. So one of some of the research I did was go to a couple of psychiatrists and psychologists who treat post-traumatic stress disorder. You know who most of their clients are? Former military police and first responders like EMTs and fire. Right. When you look back on, on the research that you did for this book, um, do, obviously you know way more about this job than than you ever did but yeah. you know you talked we talked last week about how the, the fresh connection and prince of the city and serpico resonated w w with you um mm -hmm. it, you've you've given yourself a tutorial on on new york city police work and and this is a long way around of asking the guys who have read the book are they good with it so far so far, I mean, very few have read the book. You know, the book's two or three days old, although some read arcs, advanced review copies and, and pages and things. So far, they are good with it. Uh, they think I got it right. And I, I think, you know, I don't want to be tooting my own horn here, but I, I think that they see and feel the empathy that's in the book and the humanities in the book. Now, I'm sure that there'll also be some negative reactions to it, you know, uh, because it, it is about cops who go dirty. And and I think that, that I will get some heat about that. You know, it's funny. Um, uh, I was talking about the book last week with some veteran cops, veteran yep. cops, veteran de detectives, guys that I respect a lot. And I would they hadn't seen the book yet, but they knew of it. And I said, you know, what do you think? Because, you know, it's it's all about how you cross one line and then another and then another and then there's there's no going back. And one of these cops said to me that they would show up at a crime scene sometimes that involved drugs, okay? And then when the next wave would show up, they would say, we got this. Knowing that the sec some guys in the second wave might not be there to help, but, 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 right. but might treat the drugs on the premises like kids do at a candy store. I, I heard those stories, too, Mike. You know, I heard those stories, too. I, I think, look, I think we have to be clear-eyed about it, and I think that most cops are clear-eyed about it. And, and you, you and I share this opinion. We talked about this last week. I admire these people immensely, and, and I'm immensely and deeply grateful to them. You, you can't imagine life in the city without them. And, and I feel that way nationwide. But 
we, we have to be clear-eyed that, that some cops are going to be doing this stuff, that the temptations are just too great. And we also have to be clear-eyed that, that some guys do go into this as a business. You know, you, you were born in Staten Island. You grew up in, 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 in Rhode Island. You came back to, to New York City. And, and really, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe people who are reading about this book are finding out about your backstory. But you, yeah. did, you did lead kind of an artful dodge your life as, as, in, in New York City when, when you returned to the big bad city. Yeah, you know, I, I started off as a movie theater manager. I was, I was down signing at, at the Strand Bookstore yesterday and remembering I was first offered a job there, but I took a job as an assistant manager at the Sutton Theater because it paid $5 more a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's... it's. <laughs> and Mike, I needed that 5 bucks. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I... And then, and then you... Don Winslow, a, a guy who I just described as being as good a writer as we have in America right now, was a private detective. Yeah, I, you know, when I worked in movie theaters, uh, you learned how to steal. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did, I, did I tell you about my first night at the movie theater? I no, you did, no, you did not. Do you want to hear the story? <laughs> I sure do. I don't know what your focus is, you know, but I'm on the job five minutes, right? And the manager says, if I'm around, you won't know what questions to ask. He leaves and goes to the Blarney Stone down the street. <laughs> yeah. High anxiety is playing. Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah. And a minute later, a guy starts, and there's no other word for it, ululating in the balcony. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yodeling. <laughs> yeah. This usher from Brooklyn, I still remember his name, but I can't tell it to you for reasons that will become obvious in a moment. Okay. Is mad that he didn't get my job, right? They brought yeah. this new kid in. Yeah. Huge guy comes down he says is a guy you know causing a problem in the balcony what do you want me to do with him i said throw him out <laughs> i'm standing beneath the balcony and there's a glass window facing the screen so that you can you know, buy your cookie and watch the movie right the theater goes deathly quiet and i see a body fly down past this window and hit the floor <laughs> i don't know why i'm laughing but i just the visuals got me yeah, the usher comes down to me and says, I did what you told me to do. I threw him out. He had grabbed this guy, bench pressed him, and tossed him over the balcony. Yeah. Now I think, great. I've had this job 17 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to be fired, and I don't know what to do. I am talking to the great Don Winslow on the Mike Lupica podcast, you know, and, and again, you, you have been selling books to the movies. It, Don, we've talked about this before. There's a parallel track here in my mind with you and, and not only my writing hero, but one, one of my best friends, which is Elmore Leonard. And, and oh my I'm gosh. Gonna... And my, my hero in life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, and he was, he became, quote, you know, you're seeing me make air brackets, an overnight sensation when he was about 60 <laughs> years old, okay? Yeah. And yeah. he was on the cover of Newsweek, and, and I was sitting around with him one time, and I said, Dutch, it was, it was after Glitz. Glitz, he finally makes the New York Times bestseller list right. with, with Glitz. And I said, Dutch, why was it Glitz? And he said, there's no reason why it was Glitz. It could have been La Brava. It could have been Unknown Man number 89. You, he said, there, there's yep. no timetable for these things. But 
with the way you write dialogue and the way you tell stories and the way and again it, it, it you're not a late bloomer because you've been writing your ass off for 25 years but right. but do you feel a kinship with 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 you, the lane you've been in and the lane dutch was in no absolutely i do listen i was reading elmore leonard on stakeout probably right. why i was not very good at stakeout reading oh did i miss something you know <laughs> in the middle of unknown man 89 yeah, you know, listen, I I felt for a long time I was never going to make it, you know, and break out in this business, you know. Uh, and, and people have described me as an overnight success, and it's like, well, it's sort of an Arctic night, you know. <laughs> right, no, I, I know, it's just, it's, 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 people think that you you just got, disco you know, when, when Power of the Dog came out, you got discovered on a, a drugstore seat at Schwab's. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it does but, not but, work that way. But Dutch got treated exactly the same way, except he had been writing his ass off for a yeah. long, long time. Yeah, and look, I mean, Unknown Man 89 is, I think, one of the greatest crime novels ever written. Uh, that book still stuns me. I reread it the other day, you know, how how great it is. And and I studied at his feet, you know, and my first book was nominated for an Edgar. Uh, I've never been close since, by the way. And uh, we were all, all us nominees were at an event at the old Scribner's bookstore. Remember on fifth? Oh, uh, 100% I do. Yep. And so most of us were on the main floor and... And two things happened to me. Elmore Leonard was up on that balcony, you know, like God, and we were the sort of apostles. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I couldn't go up there. I, I was so in awe. And on my immediate left was Lawrence Block. And I, I was so intimidated, because that's another big hero of mine, I, I couldn't even look to the left. I just kept my head straight for two hours, too shy to ask Lawrence Block to sign a book for me, you know? So. And those guys, yeah, no, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm another Edgar loser. Before I, you know, I realized that to sell books, I had to start selling them to young readers, okay? But I was, my first mystery was nominated for the best first mystery. And, and you know the deal, you, you, you kind of want to say, well, if I show up, do I have any chance to win? Because you know <laughs> right. that it's you know you know that it's an inside job with some of the guys who show up. They they only show up because they they know they're going to win. But then right. you your life intersected with Duchess briefly later on, and you told me about that. But 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 tell everybody about that. Well, you know my 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 sort of agent manager and dear friend, a list screenwriter Shane Salerno, put us together on the phone. And uh, a rainy day in, in a California beach town, I'd go outside because I couldn't get reception in the place. And I'm standing in this cold, kind of misty rain, and, and, and Mr. Leonard gets on the phone, and I'm all excited. And, and the first words out of his mouth are, Don Winslow, you were two and a half years old when I wrote uh, 310 to Yuma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was the most charming way of putting me in my place. You know, because we're talking about my doing a, a screen version of Unknown Man 89. And and I said, yes, sir, but I tried to read it. And then he laughed. And then he told us stories for about 40 minutes, some maybe some of the best 40 minutes of my life, you know. And then and sadly, shortly after he passed away. But uh, I was so happy to have had, you know, that half hour, 40 minutes with, with Elmore Leonard. Yeah, it's we're talking to Don Winslow. The book is called The Force. It came out um 
on uh, I think Tuesday, June twentieth. It is it is going to be. It, to me, it's going to be the, the, the big book of, of, of the summer. He is out uh, promoting it. Um, again, uh, it, it is a book about New York City cops, but it's, it's richer and deeper than that. It is, a, it, is a, it is a look at life as it exists in, in New York City. And it's about, you know, the, Don, this is about sausage making the way cops do their business. OK, this is yeah. the whole thing about you don't want to see how the sausage is made. And it is all built around an unforgettable character named Denny Malone. When I was interviewing him for the column last week, I said, what would Frank Serpico think of Denny Malone? And you just laughed and said, oh, I don't think he'd like him very much. <laughs> well, you know, that's my impression. Yeah. I uh, listen, I've never met Serpico. You know, I, I read the book and saw the film and, you know, I'm, I'm an admirer. I, I just don't think that he'd, he'd approve of Denny. Yeah. Can we, uh, I promise I'll get back to the force because I've got a hundred more questions about no, the force. I'm good. Um, about but okay. Uh, let's go back in time because I am now, I am now finishing off the reading of, of the Neil Carey, uh, oh, mysteries, okay. wow. which, back in which time, but it is back in time, but you know what? It's another way of looking at the city of your birth and mm -hmm. especially Manhattan and it involves yep. and to call him a private detective I it, it, it he's so <laughs> much more than that and it is such a um th there's a Dickensian almost uh cast of characters in these yep. books but damn those books are fun Don oh thank you man thank you I had no idea what I was doing you know I I finally got serious and thought I'll really start writing and at the time I was just cobbling together a living for me and my family uh, I'd spend part of the year in California doing private eye and investigative and consulting work. Then I would go to Oxford, England, and direct Shakespeare for American high school students at summer programs. And then I'd leave England and go down to Africa um, and lead photographic safaris. Right. And so between you've the led three such of those, a dull, you've led such a dull life it, I it know. just yeah. i just you know what god damn it don think outside the box once in a while africa to <laughs> oxford africa to oxford to movie sleazy movie theaters in new york city yeah yeah the sleaziest right and and so i thought well what am i going to write about and then i thought okay i had a hard time getting through graduate school because i was putting my way through by being an investigator and i was always getting sent away on cases and and a lot of them were fine runaway kids, you know, runaway teenagers in New York, London, various places. You know, I, I was known in the trade as a golden retriever. Go fetch, you know. <laughs> right, right. Right. And so I wrote, started to write a book about a guy who's trying to get through graduate school but can't because he's always being sent away on cases. And, uh, and I'm really grateful you mentioned the Dickensian thing because I, I was directly connecting it in my head to, to Dickens novels, you know, and it, it's the, there's such fun. They're funny. Uh, he's a, he's a great character. There's kind of this bank in, in Rhode Island that is the big brother who is his boss. And now, which leads me to believe uh, to, to, to ask you about, uh, and I, you know this because I've already offered you cash money to write another, <laughs> to write another Boone Daniels novel uh, yeah. because you, you are, uh, you know, you're a Southern Californian now. You yep. are clearly a surfer, and yep. of all the characters you, you, you've written, 
with the excluding Denny Malone, Boone Daniels, a private eye in in uh, in you know in the San Diego area, might be my favorite. And Is that so, right? yeah. yeah, and I and again, I've I've offered you cash inducements. Shane uh, doesn't think it's enough uh, to get you to write we'll another talking, Mike. <laughs> yeah, to write another. Talk about those novels. I love those books. Oh, thank you, man. You know, I, I had written, you know, some very serious books, you know, something called The Power of the Dog about the drug cartels and mafia books, and, and I felt I wanted a break. Uh, and I am a surfer, albeit not a very good one. And I love subcultures, you know. Subcultures are great to write about, whether it's cops or the mob or, you know, cartels. Well, surfing is a definite subculture with its own very funny language to it and funny way of talking, and, and some of the best times I've ever had are out in the lineup or, or back on the shore just listening to stories and guys shooting, the, you know, and talking. And so I thought, you know, I'd like to do a book about a, a guy who's a private eye, former cop, who doesn't like to work very much but needs <laughs> to, to pay rent like we all do, and so takes cases in order to pay for his surfing Jones, you know. And then I wanted to put a cast of characters around him uh, that are fun and, you know, quirky and, and, but also sort of useful to the story. So I don't know, you know, I, I live in that culture. Uh, and so these characters were really easy to, to kind of create and invent. And, and there was no research involved whatsoever because that was the life I lead. We're talking to Don Winslow, the great Don Winslow, uh, but first this from Helix mattresses, one size fits all never really fits, right? So then why is your mattress one size fits all? Well, because a truly customized mattress will cost you five to 10,000 bucks until now. You have to check out helix.com. Here's what I want you to do. Go to helixsleep.com, answer a few simple questions, and they'll run a 3D biomechanical model of your body, resulting in an optimized mattress that's completely custom to your needs. It will also be the most comfortable mattress you've ever slept on. They can even customize each side of the mattress for couples. Your mattress arrives at your door in about a week and shipping is completely free. And here's my favorite part. You have a hundred nights to try it out. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. No questions asked. Go to helixsleep.com slash Mike and get 50 bucks off your order right now. That's helixsleep.com slash Mike for $50 off helixsleep.com slash Mike. So I'm kind of, I'm trying to create a timeline now from Neil Carey through Boone Daniels. And now we come to books that I described as being a tutorial on the drug trade in Mexico and, and everything that people have read. If they have not read Power of the Dog and, and the Cartel, they have to because everything they read about El Chapo comes yeah. from the pages of, of those books. And, you know, I'm not the first to ask you this, but you had to have pissed off some very bad guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah uh, you know listen some of them are pissed off uh others believe it or not read those books and liked them uh and give them to friends as presents I'm not when, quite sure how i feel about that but yeah and and when you go through those books i i have to believe and i've read interviews that you've done in 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 the past 
not only can they be tough books to read, Don, they must have been tough books to write. Yeah, Mike, they were. You know, in, in all candor, uh, I tend to try to be sort of a cheerful and, and kind of funny person. Yeah. But uh, they were tough to write, you know, because you're, you're dealing every damn day uh, with, you know, atrocities, with sadness, with death, with murders. I, you know, and the research was tough, you know, and I, I'd spend time with the, the families of gangbangers who'd been killed in these gun battles, you know, in prisons and in... Uh, you know, talking to drug traffickers, dealing with families whose kids had died of overdoses, looking at atrocity videos and, and photos and, and trying to, to figure out what had happened there. Uh, but I, I don't want in any way to compare myself, though, with people who really suffered and were killed for telling these stories. You know, the, the cartels dedicated to 137 Mexican journalists who were killed uh, by the cartels. Uh, for the offense of, of trying to do journalism. So I don't want to be over dramatic about my own situation. You know, those are the people who really paid the price. And now, by the way, uh, uh, this is a logical extension of what I just asked you. Now, you know, some of us are still trying to make a living as columnists, but now Winslow has become a, col a columnist again, too, <laughs> writing about uh, the drug, uh, uh, the, the whole drug trade and with some advice for the president of the United States. <laughs> you know, the truth of it, Mike, is that doing the research on these books has made me kind of angry uh, about what's going on. And I guess I feel a need to speak out about it. I went off on a rant, Bryant Park, the other day. These poor people invited me to do a reading at, you know, <laughs> Bryant Park. Yeah. And somebody asked a question about the wall, and I just went off. I mean, people were fleeing, you know, trampling their own children, getting out of there. You know, fire trucks came. But, yeah, I, I have some advice for the President of the United States. I, I mean, this wall will do absolutely nothing at all uh, because – even if you build the wall, it has gates in it. They're called San Diego, Laredo, and El Paso. <laughs> yeah, right. And 19 others, and they're the busiest commercial crossings in the world. El Paso has a tractor-trailer truck go through every 15 seconds. And 75% of the illicit drugs go through on tractor-trailer trucks through those legal crossings. So the, in terms of drugs, the wall will do absolutely nothing except drive slightly drive up the price of drugs and make more profits for the cartel. So if you're looking for Mexicans to build the wall for you to pay for it, I'd go to the Sinaloa cartel. They'd probably invest in it tomorrow. <laughs> We're talking to the great Don Winslow on the Mike Lupica podcast. His novel, his new novel, Call the Force, is going to be the biggest book yet in his career and by the way i'm reading the stories about it can't they get anybody good to write the screenplay <laughs> isn't that great man i was blown away you know when shane called and, and said hey uh david mamet wants to write the screenplay <laughs> yeah i mean no no you know, that david mamet <laughs> yeah no 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 yeah. no bob mamet or fred mamet uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, no i'm, I'm sitting here M E T. yeah I'm sitting here doing this podcast, and, and within reach of my left hand is a collection of essays of his. I'm reading his book about the theater. Oh, no, I'm a, I'm a huge um, uh, fan of his. And, um, I mean, you will have actors lining up 
around the block to want to play Denny Malone. I mean, oh my goodness, what? Um, again, it's it, it's the, the, there are so many layers to this character, and um, and and as I told you when we spoke last week, despite all the shit he does in this book. I'm rooting for this guy, and I'm sure that you're getting this from the people who have read the book so far. I am. I had I had one, in fact, cop call me up and say, I, I, get, I don't know what I can say on your podcast or not, but he, he said to me, he said, I should hate this piece of blank. No, you I can like say, him. you don't have to blank on this podcast, believe me. Okay, he said I should hate this piece of shit, but I like him. You know? Yeah, you, you to, to the, I mean, again, I, I'm not going to spoil the book because the book is it is a you know we're all in the same game anybody who writes novels especially for a living we're all in the same game can we keep people turning pages it's the whole ball game it's it's not anything more complicated than that no that's and right yep. and 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 i you know you start turning pages with the force when you see that it is is dedicated to all the cops who have lost their lives in the line of service in this country in just the time you were working on the book yeah, 178 police officers, men and women. It's a horrible figure. It's shocking. You know, it breaks my heart. Um, we're talking to Don Winslow, and 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 Don, you know, we we've been talking about the, your, you know, it's it sounds it sounds like as much of a cliche when you talk about somebody's brand. Okay, the arc of your career. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but there had to be a part of you when when you were you're writing away and and working as hard at the craft as you are now that there's got to be a part of you thinking wait a minute I, I i'm a main room writer i'm not a lounge singer i'm i'm a main <laughs> room you know exactly what i'm saying that, I that do. I do. you knew you had to know how much game you had uh yeah i i think i came to a point you know six or seven books deep where I thought I had game, but, you know, the big leagues didn't agree, you know, and, and I kind of, you know, was thinking, you know, do I want to keep hitting, you know, 340 in AAA? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a great, one of my favorite lines. And again, Elmore Leonard was, was a dear friend of mine. I, I spoke to him wow. a, a couple of hours, but I'd speak to him three or four times a week. I think I told you this. I'd call him up. Yeah. I, th Don, we, we, I think we all had similar work habits. Okay. We sit down and we, we don't stop writing until we, we feel like we've gotten the most out of the day. Okay. That, and that's exactly right. Yep. And there would be days when it would be about four o'clock and I would think I was done. And then I would uh -huh. think to myself, there's an 85 year old guy sitting right. out in Bloomfield, Michigan. Okay. Yep. And yep. I know he's still working. And then I would call him up and I'd say, are you writing or thinking about girls? And he would giggle every time. And Don, he would giggle every time and say, what, you can't do both? And, oh, that's great. Oh, no, he was a bad boy till the end. But he once said to me, I didn't think I, was, I would ever be good enough or bad enough to make the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, that's a great line, man. Wow. Of course, from Elmore Leonard, you know. But I know what you mean, you know, that four in the afternoon thing and you're tired, you know, because I, I start, you know, at 530. But there have been days, there are days when I've packed it up, but there have also been a lot of days when I've thought, go back to that one paragraph. Yep. Or go back yep. to that one sentence and see if you can just push it a little further. 
Do you know what I mean? You, you uh, can I, I know exactly what you mean. I came down the hill today. I had finished a chapter, and I got to, I've got a little writing cottage down below, below our house. That's mm -hmm. where I'm talking to you from. And yep. I got up to the house, and I'm thinking, I'm good. And then I thought of four more lines that were going to make a better ending to that chapter. Down the hill yep. I came. Exactly, man. Exactly. And, and that look, let, let's be frank, that's what it takes. You know what I mean? That's what it takes. I had a professor of mine, still a, a friend of mine, dear, dear friend, who, who once told me, never waste 10 minutes. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, yeah, you know, you're, you're about 10 minutes from going someplace, going out the door, but you're not doing anything, so you're going to sit down and watch TV or something. He said, go write a sentence. It's, you know, that uh, in so many times when I've come up with really good sentences in those little 10-minute bursts. Yeah, that old man was was such an inspiration to me in 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 that. And I, you know, he he used to write at this desk in his living room in in this house that you know mm. that w I spent so many happy hours. And oh my God, that you know he would always talk about writing five pages to get one good one. And it it, it just yeah. it's it's like burned behind my eyeballs. I think about that all the time. Yeah, that's about the right ratio, isn't it? You know. I'm I'm jealous of you, Mike. You know, I would love to have had that experience. And there's, there's, you know, several shelves in my bookcase. I like paperback books, you know, I think because I'm nostalgic because that's all I used to be able to afford. And just, you know, I used to have to skip meals to buy a paperback. But there are a couple of shelves and they're, they're Mr. Leonard's books in the order that he wrote them, you know, and and I prize those things. Oh no! The greatest, the greatest honor I've ever had in my, what I laughingly call my literary life, is Greg Sutter, Dutch's assistant, called me up one day, and he said, "Did the galley arrive?" It, this was for Djibouti, and I said, hmm. "He said it, it was. It should have been here yesterday. It wasn't here yesterday." I said, "No, it didn't come yesterday." He says, "It was. Well, got to be there today. Have you checked the mailbox today?" And I said, "No, I didn't check the mailbox today." And I'm thinking. <laughs> Why is he bracing me on this? I right. said, I'm going to go to the mailbox. I'll call you back. Okay. Well, the, the galley arrived, and I find out that Djibouti is dedicated to me. Oh, and, my God. And, and I, called oh, Greg, wow. I called Greg back right before I called the old man, and I said, okay, you can pick me up off the floor now. It is, it is sitting right on my writing table, which it will be until the end, until the end of days. Knowing that guy... Uh, uh, Neely Tucker, who just gave you an amazing uh, review in the Washington Post mm. for for the Force, uh, wrote a piece after D Dutch died, and it, he para he took a line that I'd once used about him, and he turned it on its head. the 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 original line was, "The only thing better um, than reading Elmore Leonard is rereading him," which you just yeah. proved with <laughs> Unknown Man eighty nine. Okay. Yep. And when he died, I said to Neely, the only thing better than reading Elmore Leonard was knowing Elmore Leonard. And because mm -hmm. he was he was as cool. But your work habits are amazingly similar to his. And, and just, you know, take people inside the process of how early you start. And also, you do something that only I thought I did. You work on more than one thing at once. <laughs> I do. Someone once called me an ADD author. You know, yeah, it's insane. Wife, no, it's it's yeah. it's a form of insanity. But but I was so happy to read this about you because it made me feel done. It made me feel less crazy. It made you feel all right. I, I gotcha. Yeah, you know, well, I I, I start at five thirty in the morning. 
I, I work till about ten, ten thirty. I go out and walk or sort of run uh, four to six miles. If we're living, you know, our, our major place, which is up in the hills in California, and then I, I come back and I, I work until five thirty again. And usually I'm working. This is where it gets a little crazy. I feel the same way you do about it. I usually work on one book in the morning and a different one in the afternoon. Yeah, and so tell me door to door, door to door, how long yeah. did the force take? Well, in terms of research and all of that, it's probably door to door, five year project. Sit down and actually writing it was about a year and a half to two years. And next is a is the third book in the yeah. Power of the Dog Cartel series. And where um where are you in that? Um about 350 manuscript pages in. But that's not nearly uh, well, you, done. Have, having read those first two books, you're, you're not there yet, are you? Oh, I'm not even close, man. <laughs> I, it's, it's early days. It's, you know, it's warm-up. It, you know, I, I finished Cartel before lunch on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. This is true. Had lunch and started the force after lunch. <laughs> yeah, no, I I can always tell when when a book is coming to an end, even if I haven't wrapped it up, because my head is so deeply into the 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 the, the, the next book, and, and it, again, yeah. it's another form of of insanity. Okay, what has it been like from the time you got the blurb from Stephen King? Uh, Read, and I know Lawrence Olivia said uh, once said, you know, you must forget the good reviews. Right. Don, it's pretty tough for you to forget the reviews you've gotten for the force. Yeah, it is. Listen, I, I'm I'm so honored, you know, and and kind of blown away by it, because uh, because you know, I mean, the author is the one who has the least perspective on the book, you know, uh, and and I when I turned it in, uh, and I'm being very honest here, I had no idea if it was any good or not. I, I really didn't, you know. Uh, so, you know, my reaction to it has been, yeah, I've been thrilled. My other reaction to it, though, it, it, it motivates me to want to make the next one better, you know? Just in the early going here, and you're obviously in the early innings of being out selling this book. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and again, it, you know, you're out once. I, I don't know when the cartel, when did the cartel come back? It's not like you're out all the time. It's not like no, people no, no, have access. Out. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like people have access to you. So this right. must be a big deal for your fans, not just because the book is getting such great notices, but because you're available to them over the next week or two weeks or three weeks. Yeah. Listen, and, and this sounds a little cheesy, but, but I, I mean this sincerely. Every good material thing I own in life, I owe to booksellers and book readers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's just yep. the truth, man. Yep. You know? Yep. And so, yeah, you get tired and you get sick of being on planes and cars and trains and buses and everything else. Of course you do. But I, I'm happy to meet them if I can help the bookstores out a little bit. You know, I'm really happy to do that because I owe them this gig that I absolutely love. You know, you know, every bookstore and I, you know, and I listen, God bless Barnes and Noble and God bless Waterstones and England. I, I get all that. Everybody. We're all in this together. Yep. But boy, I'll tell you what, a good, a good independent bookstore in this country. I begin every talk by saying 
before I forget, you must support these stores. These Absolutely. are stores. They are the rock solid foundation of what we do. And my wife, Taylor, Don, when we go into a store and it's one of those stores with the staff notes, you know, taped yep. all around, she will always say, I, I am in my comfort zone. I know I'm exact. You, you know that the book lovers in, in these little capitals of our world are in charge there. No, absolutely. And they're the soul of a community, aren't they? You know, they're the absolute soul of a community. And yeah, I, uh, that's my place. Absolutely. More with Don Winslow after this from Zip Recruiter. Whether football, basketball, or baseball is your sport of choice, you know that the key to winning is a strong roster. So when you're hiring in business, you need to get the best talent and use ZipRecruiter. At ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your position. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate, listen to this, in just 24 hours. And right now, my listeners can start forming their own winning team on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Lupica. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Lupica. Try it for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash Lupica couple more questions yep. by the way you're, you're going to one of those stores uh tonight as we have this conversation uh, i'm in the parking so, lot yeah okay well then the, <laughs> we, the timing we, we is worth this. so you made it and I've, I've i feel like i've contributed to the winslow book tour by by killing time for you over the last part of your long journey from the big bad city you have um, committed enormously to my mental health thank you okay last question uh, uh, about the, the the force and it's an odd question but i've been wanting to ask you this and i forgot to ask you last week i can people read this book for all the tragic elements of this story and i can't even get into all of them and somehow feel optimistic about the world that you take them into yes yeah do you notice how i answered that without hesitation yep 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 well i don't want to give away the ending too much no you can't you can't you know what I mean? But a man makes a decision to do the right thing. Denny Malone and, wanted to be a good cop. It is the mantra of this book. You, you must read The Force. Again, it is going to be the big book of, of the summer. And, and the best part about this is, is, is not only are the good guys winning with Winslow getting a book like this, but oh, it, 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 it shows you a great American artist at the top of his game. Good luck with this, pal. You don't need any luck, but uh, good no. luck on the road. Mike, thank you. And and the chowder in Rhode Island, when it comes up, on me, okay? Uh, no, no. We, we will do this before the summer was over. The great Don Winslow, The Force, go, go, hopefully go buy it at a bookstore. If you have to order it on, on, online, do it. Uh, folks, I, I tell you all the time, taking you into his world is what we do on this podcast. Please continue to download it. I think we're over 100,000 now. Please continue to subscribe to it. If you want to leave comments, please do. And I'll talk to you next week, everybody. The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. 
For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. Oh, 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 oh